When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, tonight we're debating divine hiddenness and we are starting right now with our Christian apologist and guest, Stuart Nettle, on the right side of your screen. Thanks, Stuart, for being here and the floor is all yours. Appreciate you having me on, James. David, looking forward to this. Uh, you picked the topic and it's a good one. I actually really enjoy a topic like this because it gets you actually into scripture. Last time I was on here, with Dilahante, we had a similar type discussion in terms of getting into actual scripture, knowing what and who the biblical God is, what does he call us to, and something like divine hiddenness makes you really search and look into why would he call us to say, talk about parables, actually see what he's trying to teach us, his son Jesus, through parables. Why is he so hidden? Is that moral? Is that immoral? And so for me, thinking deeper into this tough topic. It's definitely one of the tougher ones for me when I came to faith and struggled with doubt, but then moved out of doubt and, and definitely still struggle with, let's just say micro doubts. But this is one of the, the toughest ones next to say suffering and uh, a few of the other biggies. But the way I think through this one would be one asking the question, who really is say a God worthy of worship? You have to wrestle with that one because if you have a God that's based out of, say, moral therapeutic deism, which is kind of the top type of understanding God for high schoolers and college students right now, it is the therapist type God, the armchair type therapist who is going to say every little need, every little desire, every little want you have, I am here for you. And then the deistic part is he's far off, though. We can't really, I mean, Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus is this kind of I can have this close relational intimacy with them. No, that's kind of ridiculous. That's absurd. So they leave that out. They call it deism. And then the moral part, they still believe that there's a level of right and wrong, but many of them are relativistic. So they would say, I choose it. You choose it. Don't cross my turf. And we're good. Second point would be saving. Now, what, what does that have to do with it? Well, if in order to get through divine hiddenness, you have to take something like the cross offensively. Okay, so it's a provocative thought because many Christians would come into the faith and think, yeah, you know, Jesus just died for my sins and we're all good, right? Like, easy enough, I'm in. Kira Knightley kind of riffed on this one saying, you know, it'd be so easy to be a Christian. You could just say, I believe, you know, Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and do whatever you want. Obviously, that's a misinterpretation of a lot of many different parts of scripture, uh, the central one being the cross. But she is onto something in the sense of, there is this block, and one of the times I was on James's show, too, I had two atheists who, like both of the guys, 
But the very first conversation I had with them on their channel, right out of the gate, they said, you know, what's, what's with saving? I hate that idea in the Christian faith, saving. And right there, it tipped me off to, is this more of an emotional issue or is this really intellectual? Because you're talking about, they went on to talk about, you know, slavery and rape in the Old Testament. But this whole saving issue, if you can't wrap your head around, well, why does God call us to like, to like, he is the savior. And like, think AA, for example, higher power than us and giving up ourselves, removing our ego. If you can't start there with understanding, is this God truly worthy of worship? Then it's just like this argument, this whole debate, the whole topic just breaks down. So wrestling with that is very important. And that's connected to sin. What is sin? I look at sin as, say, a cosmic breakdown, natural disasters, for example, sociological breakdown, divorce, et cetera, uh, psychological breakdown, depression, et cetera. I mean, look into these things, or you look at Sigmund Freud, for example, when he talked about the id, ego, superego. He talked about a dark side. He even called it sin, but he definitely wasn't a Christian. And so I think sin is very important in, in saying, I need saving, and it needs to be a higher power, higher power. And the third point would be, you know, God is not just interested in the business of showmanship. He's not just looking to say, hey, David, hey, Stuart, hey, James, just believe in me. I mean, you don't really have enough, but just believe. Or maybe you do have enough evidence and just believe. No, we know based out of, you know, Numbers chapter 22, Balaam, he got this divine appearance, and yet he didn't believe in the God of Israel. Or you think of John chapter 7 and, and you know, Jesus' brothers, his disciples saying, Come on, get out there, miracle boy from Nazareth. Just show yourself, prove yourself, do some miracles, and everyone will just come to know you. And he says no. Okay, so we get it right in scripture with Jesus' closest friends. Or you look at, for example, the Pharisees, when they're always saying, just give us a miracle, a nice revelation, and we'll believe in you. Or the demons, even out of the book of James, for example. You know, they believe in God, we get James saying. And yet, obviously, they're demons for a reason. They don't have a type of saving relationship, trusting relationship with Christ. So all that to say is, it's not about just God existing. Yes, that's a part of it. But way more importantly, it's, do I have a loving relationship with the God of the universe, his son, Jesus Christ? That's what all of scripture is about in terms of getting at this whole hiddenness thing and overcoming it. And then lastly, the Holy Spirit. You know, I think this is the toughest one for atheists to respond to, but it could also be a cop out for a Christian. I, I get that. Because a Christian can just say, you know, let me compare my experience versus yours. And, you know, I had this, I always had the Holy Spirit experience where, you know, my joy, my happiness. Yes, he, it's, it's a level of conviction at times over what I've done right or wrong. Uh, but that type of experience, it, it, the elation high that I get from it is way stronger than any type of drug hit I've taken or sexual experience. And so maybe you're just not having this and maybe you don't have this type of saving faith that I got. And that the Holy Spirit is pouring into my life on a daily basis. But I think it's tremendously important, obviously, because God is not so much about just giving us a bunch of different arguments. Yes, we get out of Romans chapter one, natural theology, right? Conscience. Uh, you can look at Psalm 19, heaven to clear the glory of God. So you can think Immanuel Kant. He said, clearly you have beauty in nature. And then we have our conscience telling us what is objectively right or wrong. So that is strong evidence for God. So we have those type of arguments, but that's not really what we're talking about tonight. Instead, it's the vast majority of people I know, even though I'm into apologetics and I love thinking through the faith, the vast majority of people I know and in the world, you know, 34% of the world is Christian. I, I, 
so such a high percentage of that is I've had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Yes, probably connected to some type of beauty I've seen, or maybe it's you know special revelation. I, I read a Bible or it's through a friend, whatever it might be. But that Holy Spirit experience is oftentimes what people say is, hey, God was hidden to me, but then I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit and I, I can't even explain it. It doesn't make any sense to me, but I can tell you right now, God is no longer hidden. Those the points. You got it. Thank you very much, Stuart. And I want to let you know, folks, our guests are linked in the description. We are honored to have them. And so I want to encourage you to give them a friendly welcome, as well as remembering to attack the arguments instead of the person. And so I want to let you know, even if you're listening via podcast, we actually put our guest links in the description box for the podcast episode as well. So check them out there. And we're going to kick it over to skeptic, comedian, and actor David C. Smalley. Thanks for being with us. The floor is all yours. Are you telling me I can't attack Stuart personally? Because that's all I wrote down. <laughs> Good. I thought this was a roast. I just wanted to make fun of him and his haircut. I that would be way better. Just tee <laughs> off, dude. I'm just jealous because you have hair. That's the reality of it. That's um, rad, though. Don't be too jealous. Yes, <laughs> that's true. Um, I think about that when I get down about being bald. I'm like, I could be a ginger. So <laughs> that's a good thing. Um, no, thanks for, for doing this, man. This is uh, I'm looking forward to this. And thanks, James, for having me on. Um, yeah, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on the opening remarks. Like, I feel like a lot of times people start these debates and it's almost like my blog versus your blog and it gets a little boring and, and bogged down. So I just want to say a little bit about it and then and then get into the Q&A and the sort of back and forth discussion, if that's okay with you guys. Um, look, we've known for a long time that when someone has more power, they tend to have the responsibility, right? Um, cops are supposed to be held to a different standard. And that's what's kind of going on right now, because they have power, they have authority, they have a, a Batman tool belt full of weapons to hurt us. So they have different rules to play by. Uh, we've all said to someone who's leaving the house, uh, hey, wake me up when you get home. Uh, wake me up when the oven goes off. Why? Why do we ask someone else to wake us up? Well, because that person has the power to understand time and, and uh, uh, space and locations and where things are happening and, and why. We are literally unconscious at that point. So we are asking the person who is conscious to wake us up. We're asking them because they have the power to know the difference and we don't. So with that power comes that responsibility. And when we ask someone to wake us up, it's because we're acknowledging we don't have the ability to wake ourselves up. And the same is true if there's a God. If there is a God, I know I exist. I don't know if the God exists. But if there is a God, God knows I exist and he knows he exists. And he also knows what it would take for me to believe in him, yet he does not provide that. So I don't really understand this idea that there is a God who wants a relationship with all of us, yet does not make himself known to all of us. That is a direct contradiction. Now, if the argument becomes, oh, God just doesn't want to know some of you people. God thinks some of you are horrible and wants nothing to do with you. Well, then you have a more of a, you kind of kind of have a better argument, right? That 
God picks and chooses his favorites. These are my people. These I want nothing to do with. By the way, you could take these as slaves, but don't rule ruthlessly over these special ones. Uh, then it starts to sort of make a little more sense that God doesn't want a relationship with me and Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins and millions of other Americans. Um, but if you think about it, those of us with some sort of platform with other skeptics or non-believers, we should be some primary targets, right? If you, if if God were to convince Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris and Dan Dennett, and I'll throw myself in there, we could we could really work for the Lord here and and convert people by the millions. Yet he's just as hidden as he was when we started this. So in the end. I don't have the power to be blamed for not believing, right? So if I don't believe, it's God's fault. He has chosen not to have a relationship with me because he's the only one that knows for sure we both exist. And if evidence is enough for Lucifer and if evidence is enough for doubting Thomas, why not me? Why not every atheist watching this right now? I'll stop there for now. I've got some other questions and some other things I want to get into. But at the end of the day, I this is directly God's fault because he knows what it would take to convince every single atheist out there that he exists and he is good and he is love. Yet he chooses to let people fight and die over who has the better imaginary friend. Thank you very much, David C. Smalley, for that opening statement. And I want to let you know, folks, we are thrilled. You'll see at the bottom right of your screen, we have many more epic, juicy debates coming up. For example, Evil Ideas, Deplatform Them or Debate Them. That is the title of our debate on Monday that you don't want to miss. So hit that subscribe button and that notification bell as it's going to be a great one and you don't want to miss it. So with that, gentlemen, the floor is all yours for the open dialogue. Thanks again for being here. All right. So, Stuart, I have a question for you, if you don't mind me going first with my question. Um, does God want to be detected? Yes. But, you know, I love the term the hound of heaven, because when I see people who've had dramatic life change and people so a part of my job is, is being a pastor. Another part is being an apologist who speak on college campuses and other platforms. The pastoral side, pastor of a, of a big church, it's a young crowd, but when I'm with a young person dying or an older, because we have some older folks, you often can see with these people when I'm counseling them or with them on their, you know, as they're dying of something like cancer, They'll say, you know, yeah, God has never really shown himself to me. And I don't think they'll go that far to say, you know, it's not like he, he, you know, he doesn't want to be detected. But they will say towards the end of their lives, I mean, without fail, I, I can't think of a single person. And I'm talking non-believers right now who I've kind of counseled, walk through end of life type stuff where they've said, yeah, I got nothing from God. Absolutely nothing. No supernatural experience. You know, don't call it God. Call it some type of supernatural higher power. Every single person I've talked to, now they could have just been blowing smoke up my butt and been like, hey, you know, this guy's with me. Let me just be nice to him since he's walking me through this. But it never felt like that. It always seemed genuine where they had some type of experience where the hiddenness was shaken off. So 
Does that but, have to but, do with your question or what's? Not, not at all in the slightest. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but I think that you, you, that's another issue, I think. Near-death yeah, yeah. experiences is something we could definitely get into and talk about as far as, you know, uh, why people feel completely relaxed and at peace with death. And there are scientific explanations for that across multiple regions, across multiple religions and different belief systems. So that's not necessarily something that's unique to Christianity. Also, it's very unique that with near-death experiences, you don't have a whole bunch of Muslims seeing Jesus or a bunch of Christians seeing seeing Muhammad or, the you know, or, or, or Allah. It's, you you know, or or a bunch of Christians suddenly seeing Krishna, or a bunch of Hindi seeing seeing uh, a bunch of Hindus seeing Jesus. You tend to see the God you were taught from age four to believe that that was the God. So, I guess my question was more directly: um, Does God want to be detected? And then the second part is assuming you say yes. Why can't I detect him? And before you say because you're a dirty, filthy atheist with a black heart. Um, you have to include all of those wonderful Christians, which I was at one time, who pleaded and begged and desperately wanted a relationship with God, yet God did not grant that relationship. And I'm talking pastors, preachers, preachers' daughters, people who have undergone abuse or rape or, or cancer or all these sorts of terrible things when they cry out to God and they beg for God and they want to have that relationship and he doesn't grant it yet. You say he wants to be detected. Help me tie those, tie those together. Why would both of those uh, be happening? Well, so you could easily make the case then that kind of you, you started this. It's, it seems like it's tied, but in your opening, when you were talking about it should be this type of general revelation to all, everybody gets an equal shake. How do we not know that if it's the God of the universe, let's, let's say, I mean, if it's a God who created the universe, he's that big, we would guess his thoughts are a little higher than our thoughts. If that's the case, how do we know he's not coming to us at different times in different ways that's different from how he comes to other people where boom, okay. you're just growing up in the faith. For okay. Example. So, so, so that would be like me saying, I'm going to give you a metal detector, Stuart, and I'm going to sneak over to your house and hide things and you have to find them. And for years you never find anything. And then finally you're like, dude, I give up. And I go, ah, everything I hid was plastic. You suck. What? You gave me a brain to detect reality and then you remain hidden from the very attributes that you allowed me to detect, and then you blame me for not having the right tools? You know, I gave you the metal detector, so you were looking for metal, but then I only hid plastic and then blamed you in the end, and by the way, if you didn't figure out, I'm gonna set you on fire. That's a little much, right? And that's why I say it's God's fault. He gave us our detectors, and then remains undetectable according to the parameters he set up from a physics perspective within our reality. Yet we're supposed to blame ourselves or say that we are not good enough or we're broken or we didn't pray hard enough or we're sinful or for whatever reason we're, we're not worthy of God's presence when he's the one creating the rules. It just doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. Okay, let me, you had a lot there. Let me let me go back to two minutes ago with what you said. One, it's, it's this is like keeping them honest on a sports show. I know you're you've got the celebrity stuff going on, so maybe you'll appreciate this, maybe not. When you said that Jesus is not popping up in other religions, there is a mass movement right now 
to Muslims where Muslims are having dreams in Saudi and the Middle East where they're seeing Jesus and coming to know him. And the crazy part about that is, you know, Muslims, especially in the Middle East, they would never come, they would never become a Christian unless they had some type of crazy experience. And so I've read all these studies and still I was like, not convinced. I was like, okay, yes, it seems like there's a ton of evidence for this. Then I had a couple buddies who are actually over there and I was friends with them in seminary. And they said, this is happening. And the type of revelation that these Muslims are getting by the thousands is just insane where they never had any type of encounter with this white, blue eyed, six foot two American Jesus. And yet all of a sudden they come to this faith because they have this encounter with this Jesus who comes to them, who, who obviously is not white and six foot two and an American Jesus, but who they actually go to the Bible and want to find out about. So that, that gets to part of your piece. And then the gen, you, you brought up kind of the genetic fallacy where absolutely where we're, where we're born, where, you know, what kind of faith we're born into. Certainly that has a lot to do with, with whether we head down that trajectory or not. But that type of reasoning has just as much to do with the, the atheists as well. I mean, it, there's a reason why 70% of atheists in the U.S. are white males, right? And, and there's, a, there's a reason why so many people, just with that type of thinking, that says that there's a genetic fallacy, I mean, that's very white Western thinking. People are not saying that in other cultures, right? So, so there's genetic fallacies and there's, there's those types of, types of misfirings and thinking all, all over the place. But to, now to get to your most recent point, David, I would, I would say, I mean, again, it, those are good examples you brought up and illustrations, but that could be easily connected to the whole point of like it, if God, if the God of the Bible took the approach of Zeus or any of the ancient Greek gods, where it's just this type of power, I'm going to lord it over you. You better appease me. or I'm going to smite you on the spot. I mean, you're going to worship that God based out of tremendous fear. Are you not? And so if the God of the Bible took that approach, it would be the exact same thing. And I see this over and over again, even in, in my church, where the, the meritocracy that goes on is scary when it comes to believing in God. I, I mean, a guy said the, uh, over Christmas, he was dead serious. He said to his family members, he said, yo, let's get some life insurance. Let's go to church just this Christmas time. That's it. And the whole thing there is it's fear. It's fear. Like what if there could be a God I need to be able to get in versus the biblical God, which is if I were you, I would not have been so much praying towards, I got to get to God, but God just reveal yourself to me. And maybe you were doing that. But instead of me trying to chase after God, asking God to come to me, reveal himself in a way where we can build a relationship, not just some kind of type of just, I want to just know you exist. We don't know. We don't know what the magic no, we don't know. words are. Nobody, God knows. So back to my, back to my uh, metal detector analogy. If I said I was designing a game and I said, you have, I'll give you a million dollars if you detect whatever. And if you don't, I'm going to shoot you or set you on fire. And I give you the metal detector and say, I want you to find the things. And then all I ever hide is plastic, but I never reveal that to you. Would you think that I wanted you to succeed in the game? Okay, so it sounds like a cosmic bribe kind of thing. It sounds like all stick, no carrot. I heard you say set you on fire. 
I, I want you to directly respond to what I said, though. The the If I gave you a metal detector, but only yep. hid plastic, and then you had this horrific punishment if you don't get it right, and later you find out that I was hiding plastic the whole time, but I gave you a metal detector, would you think that I wanted you to succeed? No, not at all. Okay. That's how it feels. That God does not yeah. want a relationship with us because that's all we have is the metal detector, Stuart. That's all we really know is how we gauge and test empirical reality. And if God is not playing in the realm, he set us up to understand, how is it our fault for not detecting him? Right. And so I hear you say feels, and you don't strike me as the typical type of atheist that I, I'll debate who are more of the fundamentalist types, who where it's, you know, there is no God and I hate him for it. So, it, so it's strictly emotional. You talked about the feelings and I hate this God right out of the gate because he's all stick, no carrot. And he's going to say, you're going to the lake of fire if you don't believe in me. If you don't believe I exist. Look, I don't want that kind of God. I wouldn't believe in that kind of God. Not, not a chance, not even close. Because I think that's manipulation. I think it's coercion. I, I think that's, I mean, talk about slavery. That's, that's the most type of, that kind of type of enslavement would just be scary. But that's not what we get in scripture. And I mean, I could head so many different directions right now. One tell would me, be can you, can you tell yeah. me what, where my analogy breaks down? Why why is it not the metal detector analogy? Because I when I say it feels, I'm not just yeah. talking emotional. That's how it is. That that's how it's set up. Yeah. Because anytime I have these divine hiddenness conversations, it's always either you're not praying hard enough. You're not living a righteous enough life for God to be worthy for God to show himself or whatever. And the list goes on. It's always me that's broken. It's never the responsibility is on God. So if he doesn't want atheists to succeed in building that relationship, how is it our fault when he's the only one that knows we both exist for sure? Like, I don't understand how the onus is on the atheist to, to know a God that is undetectable according to the attributes and detectors that God gave us. So how does my analogy not, not fit there? No, it's right in line with what David struggled with, what Job struggled with, what Thomas struggled with, what Peter struggled with. Divine silence is a very scary thing, and it seems very unfair. I totally agree with you, 110%. You know, when my uncle who is head of transplant surgery at Duke when his only daughter was killed in a car accident, he went straight to Psalm 88 because it ends with darkness is my only friend. And he said that was the only place out of any piece of literature or anything anybody could ever tell me that gave me solace. Darkness is my only friend. And so the reality of God not speaking when evil and suffering occurs, you, you can't say that's not a reality when you're reading the Bible. Absolutely is. And there's so many fundamentalist Christians who would cover that up. Mm -hmm. And that's a total I, I joke. I, I appreciate you acknowledging that. That's great. So that gives me, you know, I, I truly believe if you look in the Psalms, for example, God totally understands how we speak when we are desperate and he allows it to happen. So if you look at David literally cursing at God and then being called the man after God's own heart, that's pretty crazy. And he's cursing him for silence in the face of suffering. So dealing with that has always been helpful for me when I've struggled with doubt and felt like, hey, God, what's up? I'm living a pretty good life here. I'm chasing after you. I, 
there's nothing tangible about this relationship whatsoever. It feels like a, a door has just been slammed in my face, especially when I'm going through tough times. What's the deal? But then if I go into the Psalms, if I go into Job, if I go into any number of the disciples who struggled when, when Jesus died on the cross and he disappeared and left them disillusioned, then all of a sudden I can dig deeper into, wow, maybe God functions in a way that's slightly different in terms of how he shows himself to us. Yeah, slightly different, but that slightly different is actually undetectable to our detectors that he gave us. So do you think God wants a relationship with everyone? And if the answer is yes, which I assume it is, why did he give us the metal detector and only hide plastic? So the only way I can answer that question is if I know where you're coming from and asking that, the question of what kind of evidence would you want? And then what do you think this type of saving faith is? So evidence, what kind of evidence would you want? I don't think you're purposely moving the goalposts. You don't seem like that kind of guy to me. Many atheists like that, and I'm sure many Christians. But what kind of evidence would, would David want? And then secondly, I mean, what, what even is faith? Again, are you just operating out of just God existing? And man, that gets me into heaven? Or is it something more? Um, I don't know what evidence I would want. But God does if he exists which is mm -hmm. my entire point mm -hmm. is that he has all the information. He's the one that's awake. And all I've said is, Hey, Hey, wake me up because I'm going to be unconscious and I'm going to need you to wake me up. And he's just letting me sleep with the oven on. He's letting me sleep through the alarm going off. He's letting me sleep and miss modern day debate. And he's just not letting me, he's not waking me up for anything. Mm -hmm. Yet blaming me for not being wake upable? Am I not good enough to be awakened? Why? Is something wrong with me? So the person with the awareness ha should have the ability, right? We've all taken care of a drunk friend, right? We've all made sure they fall asleep face down, right? We all we understand that the person with the wherewithal has the ability to control the situation and should do good by those things to help other people out. Yet God, again, gives us this metal detector, shows up in plastic, and then blames us for not having the right tools. I don't know what it would take for me to believe in a God, but if God exists, he does and still hasn't shown it to me. I'm not an angry atheist. I don't hate any God any more than you could hate a leprechaun, but I just don't see the evidence to believe in a God that would give me tools to detect him, remain undetectable, and then punish me for eternity for not detecting him according to the game exactly how he set it up. That's not my fault. I totally get that. And thanks for your vulnerability there. I thought that was, was a lot of good stuff. I rarely hear atheists say that sort of thing. I would make two points there. One would be, well, more than two. <laughs> One would be saving. Do you have a problem with needing to be saved? Like, if you were to go into AA, could you be like, yeah, I, I, I see myself here. I'm not an alcoholic, but I, I know I struggle with other things, and uh, I need a higher power to save me. I can't save myself. Because a lot of atheists would say, that's absurd. One atheist said to me, he said, hey, I like this Christianity thing. Like, I want to go to church. I hear it's good for you. I saw the Harvard study recently. It's good for you psychologically, relationally. I think I might become a Christian. And I said, okay, yeah, so here's how it goes. 
And when I got to the whole sin piece, he said, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? I've never sinned my entire life. It was dead serious. And I said, are you sure? Are you sure you've never made one little sin? And he said, all right, I yelled once at my wife and they've been married like 35 years. And so I think the misconception of sin, what is saving? Again, if we don't start there, that that's the whole biblical God. Like if we want to debate over Zeus or Allah even, that's a totally different discussion. But if you don't start here, then that's an issue. And then second point would be, I almost think you're a Christian. And I don't want to put that on you. I don't want to put words in your mouth here. I don't want to be disrespectful. Okay. But you almost sound like a Christian. In the, and what I mean by that, in the sense of, not that you could be angry. You could be angry, and that's fine. But with how much you're talking about the searching, 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 it almost sounds like you're currently still searching in some ways. Maybe not currently, but definitely searching in the past. And it sounds like searching in the present. Like, how do we know that you're not a Christian then? I don't want to sound universalistic. I don't want to sound like one of these powder puff liberal universalistic Christians. That's not what I'm trying to do right now. But I don't believe you, you always you can't look at scripture univocally. See, a lot of Christians will go to uh, clearly it says in first John that unless you bend the knee and confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you're not going to heaven. But then hold on here. What about Hebrews 11, where there's so many people, Abraham, et cetera, who have not even heard of Jesus yet are going to be in heaven or Romans two, general revelation, where you don't even know what, what Paul is talking about here. It's, it almost sounds like a type of universalism where and, it's God's judging a, hearts. And according to Matthew seven twenty one, there will be a lot of people who bent the knee yet still not into the kingdom of heaven. It's, because that's exactly right. Pop. So, yeah, totally, totally. And so, And that's why you have in like Matthew 25, the whores, the whores and the whoremongerers and the tax collectors get into heaven ahead of you, Jesus says to the Pharisees. And I think that's connected again to this very topic that we're talking about right now, which is this whole (laughs) tricky dynamic of what is grace and is not the Kira Knightley understanding of cheap grace. What is grace that is actually going to change hearts? And I think we're struggling with this right now. You brought up the race issue. You know, you, you look at Jonathan Haidt, the psychologist out of NYU, when he talks about how we're not just righteous, every single person, atheist, Christian, Muslim, we're all self-righteous. We all think we're right on everything. And we so rarely doubt our own opinions. It's scary. And so we have this cognitive bias where we're just going out to just back up our own assumptions. And we see this in politics right now. And the reason why I bring that up is because the Christian faith is understanding grace which is i do not know everything whatsoever and god is able to reach any person no matter what they've done in their life and change them and they can get into heaven even if it's a thief on a cross even if it's a a murderer in prison whatever it might be and that's that's the crazy part again that's him coming to that person in a special specific way not in this general way that supposedly he comes to every person in the same kind of way because i think if you're going to go there then the burden of proof switches to the atheist if it's everybody has to come to believe god exists and have a type of saving faith and trusting relationship with jesus in the same sort of way that's that's so funny i i i um i love debating uh, really smart christians like you because you and I don't mean this to be offensive. It, it's honestly entertaining. Like you completely avoided answering my exact, my actual question. 
and then somehow called me a Christian and then put the onus on me to prove that there is no God. And there are a lot of Christians who probably go, this guy's amazing. And I'm going, I'm getting nothing here. So maybe your I'm question try one was more just time. too smart for me. I, what, what's that? <laughs> maybe your, your question was just too intelligent for me. Just right. Maybe, maybe that was the and one that. Now that would have been the best answer to my question right there. And we could just move on. Um, the question more directly, and I am interested to know why you think I sound like a Christian. I am, I am interested in that. Um, but let's, let's table that for just a moment. Um, the direct question is why did God give us the metal detector and then show up in the form of plastic? Why is he not making himself detectable? That's the entire point of this debate. And I think what I've done here is remove the onus from the atheist because the atheist is, according to Christians, a puny brain human who doesn't understand what's going on. You guys talk about humans like that all the time, right? Oh, God knows so much better than us. God knows so much more. He has the entire universe on his shoulders, but it's your fault humans for not connecting with a higher power. Wait, 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 wait. Since when does the tiny, puny brain person get blamed for everything that's happening? That doesn't make any sense, right? So it's kind of it's not, it's kind of Christianity talking out of both sides of its mouth. When it's convenient for you, the human has the responsibility to seek after God. But when it's convenient for the problem of evil or divine hiddenness, then God should come out to the human, but the human must be ready and must understand. It just doesn't work both ways, Stuart. So I'll, I'll end it with a direct question that I really want an answer to. Why did God, in, in accordance with my previous analogy, why did God give us the metal detector and then show up in the form of plastic? That was the same way. Ask me it in a, in a different way. Because I okay. see what you're saying, but but expound even further. Because, again, that's... That's not the biblical God, but but keep so that's why I'm saying ask it in a different way. Okay. So we understand the laws of physics. We we see things, we touch things, we have our five senses. Some argue there may be six or seven. We smell endorphins that we don't understand. We smell, right? We have these things that are bordering on physical, but we understand the basic properties of physics. Yet God allegedly operates outside of what we can detect and measure. Yet it's incredibly important that we acknowledge and believe in that God, lest we be tortured for eternity, depending on which version of Christianity you ascribe to. So the question is, why would God give us these senses to detect him, make believing in him the single most important thing any human can do, yet remain undetectable according to the tools he gave us. It's mm. good. Yeah. Okay. So I would say you start with, there is clearly, like you alluded to earlier, a universal hunger for some type of God, so like 98%, maybe it's slightly lower than that, of the world believes in some form of God or higher power. and. The issue for me then is obviously, okay, God has shown himself then to a, a lot of people. And maybe we can get down to, again, it's so case specific, because I'm sure you know some atheists where you'd say, well, obviously that person's so closed off to God, you know, they're so rude and irreverent to anything even remote, however you'd like to put it, 
that I could see that person. Okay. God's not going to really show himself to that person, but me, me, come on, I'm kind of a nice guy. And, and I did some searching, you know, I did, I was an altar boy for a little while. Didn't work out too well, but I, you know, I, I, I was, I was looking and so that, that sets up this dichotomy all of a sudden of, okay, so who's trying harder? I mean, who's trying harder? Like I'm a PK. PK statistically, you're not supposed to be a Christian. You're supposed to be like the most rebellious, self-centered person, which, you know, I struggle with those, but in, in the world. And so I, I don't feel like I was given a fair shake and I don't feel like I've done anything in the sense of like chasing after God in a way to all of a sudden get his favor. No, it all comes back to this freakish nature of what is grace. And that's why you have a Liam Neeson, for example, who can literally look at somebody who's in chains and say, but there for the grace of God, go I. I start at this place of, I could be in chains. I could be that prisoner. I could do whatever that prisoner did, but it was God's saving grace that made me who I am today. And so this is back to your whole point of why am I not good enough? Am I not great enough? What's going on here, God? So that would be one piece. The second piece would be, I do think it has a lot to do with ego and self. Absolutely. When I say ego, I don't mean pride necessarily, or, you know, the the wide receiver dancing in the end zone. That's that's not necessarily the type of ego I'm, I'm talking about. I am talking about more so, I think Buddhism slightly has it right in the sense of how do I get out of myself? How do I view myself as almost an illusion because I'm part of the all soul? Obviously, Christianity is different than that. But I agree with that part of Buddhism in the sense of we do have to get away from simply living for self. And that's why you have the frequent line that I love in Christianity, which is all you need is need to be a Christian. All you need is need. And so that's why I said, kind of started going on the road of you might be a Christian because you are saying I have some needs. And so how do you know God is not, you're not saved. There's a good, good chance you are saved. And so, so that's the piece where versus many other atheists who come storming out of the gates saying, I don't need a God. God doesn't exist. God's a rapist. God is X, Y, Z. Yes, I want to live for myself. I could write a better Bible. If God aligned the stars, like many atheists have said to me, saying, hello, David, trust in me. I created this universe. Somehow, come to believe in me. And I say, that wouldn't be enough. I've heard so many atheists say this. That type of irreverence in wanting more evidence, more evidence. Well, how much evidence? Uh, I have no idea. Endless amounts of evidence. Well, so how are you ever going to be able to get to the place then of actually saying, I believe in you, God, if if there's endless evidence that's never going to convince I, I, I never said any of that. I never said there were endless amounts of evidence. I never said if the stars aligned, I wouldn't believe. No, no, no. I said them. I, yeah. yeah. All of those are arguments from people that aren't here today. That's why you're a so, Christian. Yeah. N- no, Personal. I'm not. I'm definitely not a Christian. And it's because uh, I've said that whatever the answer is, God knows and he doesn't provide it. So how is that my fault? Mm-hmm. God is the conscious one. God is the responsible one. God created the game. Mm-hmm. Another way to put this, let's say there is a football game going on and you put the guys out there and you make them start playing, but there's no lines on the field whatsoever. 
you're calling penalties, you're calling them out of bounds, you're saying they didn't get a first down. Nobody knows what the hell's going on. And the ref's just going, you got to have faith. You got to believe. You got to belief and faith is all up to my own interpretation. And, and if you set two Christians down long enough, you're going to realize they don't worship the same God. There's going to be a difference where that God, where that Christian goes, my God agrees with me on this. And the other Christian is going to go, no, 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 no. My God agrees with me on this. I've done this for years. And anytime I get two Christians in the same room, at first, it seems like it's two on one. Then you certainly find out it's every man for themselves because they're not even worshiping the same deity. When you dive down far enough, everybody's got their own interpretations. So at the end of that football game, nobody knows what the hell's going on. Nobody knows what the score is to look at the refs and go, you really wanted us to succeed, didn't you? Nobody would believe that. You'd go, no, they didn't want us to succeed. They didn't put any lines out there. We didn't understand the rules when we started. The information got passed down and changed, and nobody knows what the hell's going on. In fact, there's roughly thirty to 40,000 different rule books uh, arguing about the rules, yet it's the player's fault for crossing a, an imaginary line we didn't know or we didn't point to the east when we were bowing or when we died our feet weren't pointing the right way so we could be resurrected in the coming days like nobody knows what the hell's going on there's only one that does know if he does exist and if that god exists he's the one responsible for letting us know he's responsible for letting you know for letting me know for letting harris know for letting each individual person know and if he's everywhere all the time that shouldn't be hard he could whisper it into my ear right now whatever it may be Yet he's the one with the power, but he doesn't do anything about it. I'm the one with the puny human brain, and I get blamed for not forging a relationship with the invisible God that's all-powerful that I can't even prove exists. I, I can't meet you there, Stuart. I can't, I can't meet you there and say, yeah, humans are despicable. Humans are the ones at fault for rejecting God. What about those of us who aren't rejecting? What about those of us who are waiting, who have asked for years and years and years for evidence and for proof, and who have dedicated our lives to talking with theology professors and scientists and Christian authors and theologians and preachers and pastors and priests and deacons of all different denominations trying to get to the bottom of this and seeing contradiction after contradiction after argument, and all of them are pointing to this unknowable, undetectable being that you say I'm responsible for forging a relationship with. He has the responsibility, Stuart, not human beings. He set up the rules. He gave us the metal detector. It's not our fault. It's just not our fault. He either, if he exists, he doesn't want a relationship with me. He doesn't want a relationship with millions of Christians who have hit their knees and begged for a sign or begged for the abuse to stop or begged for the cancer to go away. He has remained hidden from them as well. And they're watching this right now. So what do we say to those people who have hit their knees and who have begged to know God? And he, he, he is just as available as Casper the Friendly Ghost. What do you say to those people who have zero evidence for God, and yet by saying they need to be responsible for forging that relationship, you're blaming them. You're victim-blaming the person on their knees for not being smart enough to connect with a cosmic invisible deity. How does that make any sense? Well, okay, so I never said you are fully responsible. Okay. 
you're putting words in my mouth on that one because you're right. Some denominations would, well, that's unfair. So, so hold on. So, you think God, so, so you, so, okay. So I apologize. So you think that God does bear responsibility in forging a relationship with me? I think it's free will and, and God's sovereignty. It's a mix of the two has to be. Would example help? Okay. Maybe an example would help on that. So throughout scripture, you get like Acts 26, you get in Hezekiah, you get these examples of where Paul in Acts 26, for example, is shipwrecked. And God says, if any sailor here leaves, you guys are going down. But Paul, you have to keep them on the ship. And so it's this mix of, Paul, you got to do this. But at the same time, you know, I'm going to be working in a way where I, you're not going to drown because he follows it up with, you're not going to drown most likely. <laughs> and so Paul already knows he's not going to drown. And yet at the same time, you better keep everybody on this ship. Then you have in Hezekiah, this king who gets 15 years added to his life, but God says, I'm going to give you 15 years, but you better bandage your wounds. And so it's very similar to faith in that type of way. It's not, I am totally responsible, God. I have to figure out, I have to play all this, this crazy chessboard. I have to play it all lifelong to try and find a way to get to you. And then I will get out of the lake of fire and somehow be on top of this nice, cushy little cloud strumming this nice little harp. It's not that. It's just totally not that. It's God is going to have to meet us. He's going to have to. I believe it comes way more than just halfway. And then, yes, we need to respond. There needs to be the God of the Bible. It's clear that he comes to us and then says, you do have to respond. But it's based off of his grace, not our own works, that's going to give us this type of trusting relationship and secure eternity. Yeah, I don't know how we could accept grace from something we can't even prove exists. What does that mean? What is grace to you? Forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... It's beyond that. It, yeah, it's part so, of it. Well, I was just starting, but um, I'll give you an example. So let's say I'm in charge of uh, two children. And the children say, um, dad said he wants us to uh, rearrange the living room this way. And the other kid says, no, no, no. Dad told me he wants to change the living room this way. No, he wants the couch here. No, he wants the couch here. And I'm standing in the room. Imagine me just standing there, watching them argue. Let's see what turns out. Let's see how this works out. A lot of parents do that. That's fine. But then let's say they started punching each other in the face. They started gouging each other's eyeballs out, pulling each other's hair, setting each other on fire, and I'm still just watching with indifference. When I could easily say, guys, hey, I want the couch over there. He was right. Problem solved. Nah, I'm just going to stand behind the couch, watch them literally kill each other, over what I allegedly want, and I do nothing to solve the problem, knowing that solving the problem would keep the peace and let them both know I am there. I am a parent. I am physically involved in their lives, and I care. I saw a meme one time that said, to be a parent, you must make yourself a parent in the lives of your child, APP, 
a parent. You have to be present in order to matter to your children. You can't just show up when they're 27 and say, damn it, I'm your dad. No, 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 no. That's gotta be earned over time, even though you had the authority originally, even though you assisted in creating that human being, you don't just get authority because of who you are. You've got to be a parent in that person's lives. And that Do you really want that parent for eternity though? I wouldn't want that parent at all. And, and, and that's my point, Stuart. Is you want that, a parent though? Is that the, the, the God who would just watch with indifference for thousands and thousands of years, people killing one another and 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 throwing homosexual people off of roofs with their with their hands tied behind their back and burning people at the stake and stoning 13-year-olds to death because they lost their virginity before marriage because they were raped. I mean, the amount of evil that has happened in the world, it's not just that God allows it. Is that he remains hidden behind the couch the entire time as we are out here trying to figure out what's best for humanity. And then the Christian apologist shows up and looks at the person who had their eye gouged out and says, you didn't seek God good enough. It's you. You're the reason that he didn't come solve this problem. Me, the little puny brain human who doesn't understand anything outside what the physics that I can detect? It's my fault? That's like blaming the janitor for the company going under. He doesn't have access to the financial records. He's cleaning the toilet. How is it his fault that the company went under? It's, it's taking responsibility, turning it on, on its head, and then giving God the glory when something amazing happens, and then blaming the little guy when he never finds God. It should be the other way around. It's God's responsibility to start the relationship because he knows I'm here and he knows what it would take. And so this gets right into natural theology and arguments for whether there is there a God or not. And so I think right out of Romans chapter one, you get scripture saying conscience within beauty outside. That's more than enough evidence right there in and of itself to point us to something related to God. I was talking recently somewhat with somebody about how all the different psychological studies out there and more books out there, like, like the God shaped hole, for example, many, many different books right now talking about how it is empirical. It's empirically verifiable that kids are born with this innate understanding of a God. And I think right out of the gate there, that's not, that's not a way to say automatically, Oh, see, see God's revealed himself, but it certainly says something. And I think what those studies show are connected to exactly what Paul's talking about in Romans in the sense of conscience, in terms of the sense of general revelation, in terms of the sense of special revelation, which is scripture, the gospels. And I think you have to deal with that. I, your illustration's a good one, but now you're putting too much of the onus again on free will, on people. The God of the Bible is not saying that in terms of it's all up to you guys and you guys are going to burn. I'm throwing you myself right in the lake of fire. If you don't believe in me and you talked about faith, David, okay. Faith is not just this emotional high. It's not like when the saints won the super bowl, how every single huddle that they had was let's just have faith. Come on. It's, it's sincerity guys. It's sincerity. No pistis in the Bible. You look at say Acts 17, 31, for example, it's all connected to the resurrection and the proofs that were given, the evidence that was given. And then from that evidence, 
you measure it up just like you measure up when you're dating a hot girl. Am I going or, or guy, am I going to marry this person or not based off of the evidence I have and enter finally got to make that leap or not into a trusting relationship with them. And that's all connected. My final point here, based off of your good question analogy is Luke chapter 16. We got to talk about hell at some point tonight because you, you keep talking about burning and you keep talking about the free will piece, which is legit. You have the rich man and Lazarus. You have the whole point of why is the rich man's name not given? And that's the only place where a person's name in an entire New Testament is not given. It's because Luke is trying to highlight that this rich man has totally lost his or her, obviously him, his identity. He's just rich man. So he's living for something else. And he was happy, but obviously that's turned him miserable after a while. It wasn't just this lake of fire. But he is miserable. And that's because he said, I don't want anything higher. I certainly don't want a God. I want this wealth that I can see, that I can feel that gets me something. And it, like C.S. Lewis talks about, it is this eternal grumbling that took place because of his greed just eventually ate him alive in throughout eternity. And so he, if you notice, he does not want to get out of heaven when you have Lazarus and he's saying, please, Lazarus, go and just tell my brothers and sisters they don't want to come here. And he says, your brothers and sisters clearly have the prophets and an understanding of the evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. And if they don't believe that, it won't matter. Even if, it, if they saw this dead man rise themselves, even if they had this tangible five sense connection with him. So it's way more so an identity issue versus, and it gets back to the whole reason behind why do we accept God first? Is it just him existing or does he want a loving relationship with us? If he was just there in this bald type of power that sets us up for, I have to fear this God. And it's not a, that's not, there's no legitimacy in that type of loving relationship. If I'm just fearing somebody who might smite me or it's this ego play of, Hey, look, I'm better than you. I believe in this God. I'm getting saved. Look at you, buddy. Want to jump in? Okay. I I, I do want to mention one one sec. I'll give you a chance to respond, David, but I do want to mention that maybe now or after your response, David, I know that we had talked about a a quick intermission at the hour mark. Okay. Sounds good. Um, So Stuart, real quick on the children being born with some idea of God, right? With on that note, let me just ask you this and, and briefly answer if you have one. When crocodiles hatch out of their eggs and go crawling toward the water, the mother opens her mouth and the crocodiles jump straight in and she carries them to safety. How did they know that's a safe mouth to jump in? They literally just entered the world out of an egg. The gazelle who drops the baby out And within 10 minutes, it's standing up and staying really close to its mother. How does it know that that's a safe place to be? I'm I'm, I'm honestly asking, do you have an answer for that? Because of the parent, and they believe the parent brought them into the world. Okay, so then why would they need to believe in a God beyond the parent? Well, no, hold on. That, that, that That crocodile who hatches... Mm-hmm. It just sees an alligator, or a, a, it just sees a crocodile mouth there. It could be a predator. It could be a, a competing male. It could be a competing female. It could be anything that wants to eat them. 
but it just willingly jumps right into her mouth. How does it know? Would you would you accept that there's an uh, a biological element to creatures recognizing uh, a larger, safer version of itself to go to for comfort? Sure, definitely. Okay, so to me, that is exactly the response to children being born with some idea that there is God. And it makes perfect sense why man has created God in his own image. God is a guy, he's a man, he has human form, he looks just like us. We have evolved to the point that we start to realize we have limited time and we're gonna die someday. And we have reached a point that we can no longer run to something that's a bigger version of ourselves, so we invented it. That instinct, that you're talking about in babies is not because there is a God, and it sure is an evidence of it being a God. It's evidence of evolutionary biology telling us we need to run to something bigger than ourselves that looks like us for safety and support. The last thing I want to say is Tricia replied to our tweet just about two minutes ago, and she said, I begged, begged God to reveal himself to me, and honestly sought after him and knocked on a door that never opened. Still open and ready for a revelation to this date, nothing. The ball is definitely not in my court. What do you say to Krisha? I totally agree with you. Every kind of way. Well, if the ball is not in our court, it's God's fault because he remains hidden. You've got to ask the question, what are you looking for? See, I wish I could get an answer out of you, David, tonight about what you, what kind of evidence you're looking for and what do you want God? How do you want him to prove himself? So evidence I and proof. Answer. I, I had a secular answer. Jewish friend who told me incessantly, my secular Jewish friend, really sharp guy, went to, went to an Ivy League. And he said, Stuart, easy. Thank you for asking. If Jesus shows up five times a day, every single day, just to me, just to me, not to anybody else, just to me to prove himself, I will believe in him. Case closed. So you got to ask, I'm not saying you want that. I don't think, I don't think you're quite that uh, extreme, but you still have to answer the question because then we have an idea of what is this, is this God worthy of worship or not? And what is this evidence and potential proof that he's offering? Trisha, if you want me to answer that, Dave, I'm glad you asked me to answer I would simply say, keep asking God to reveal himself to you. And God is not a white male. He's, he's not even a male. He's genderless. But that's, that's a whole other discussion. Um, keep asking him to reveal himself to you. The onus is not on you. Yes, you absolutely do. Again, you're asking him, so you are praying. So I guess in that sense, the onus is on you. But you're simply taking one step frequently asking God, please just reveal yourself to me. I know that this universe did not just come from nothing, come about by accident. I know the natural laws are not just popping up and we're expecting them to be the same every single day. That should not be normal. Like David Hume even said, we could go on and on and on. So simply just keep asking God, please show yourself to me. And I don't feel you ask like David did ask like Job did. The Bible is replete with examples of people who say God is silent. I don't see him. And yet God always says you are doing the right thing. Or, Tricia, you could not waste your time and create your own destiny. That's it. That's it right there. 
<laughs> that is the crux of this whole debate tonight. Create your own destiny. Do you want a God who creates your own destiny? I don't think David does. And I don't think that's because he's a bad guy. But I don't think he wants a father figure. And I don't think he wants a displaced identity that's given to him by God. I think he wants his own. And that's legit. Well, while we're on this little break, I'll, I'll be looking for God and I'll let you know if I find him. <laughs> we will take an intermission. And we are excited, folks, as we have maybe a bit more open discussion as well as Q&A coming right up. Do want to let you know a couple of things in particular. Folks, if you haven't heard yet, we're absolutely thrilled for this upcoming debate with Christian apologist Dr. Kenny Rhodes and Matt Dillahunty coming up on June 5th. We're doing a crowdfund to make that event happen. Honorariums for the speakers that we are pumped about as it has been cruising. We've been super excited and so want to encourage you. If you've ever found this channel fun, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah it's all right. Consider joining the crowdfund with us. The crowdfund is linked in the description and that's right below our guest link. So I do want to mention that as well. We are thrilled to have David C. Smalley as well as Stuart here with us tonight. They're linked in the description at the very top of the description box. And that includes folks. If you are listening to Modern Day Debate via podcast, as we are thrilled, folks, if you haven't yet, pull out your phone, find your favorite podcast app, and look up Modern Day Debate, as we are absolutely pumped that we are on podcast. All of our debates that are here on YouTube also end up on the podcast, and that's it. right now we're catching up. We're about a week behind in terms of when the live stream occurs and then when the debate makes it onto the podcast, but you can find both David C. Smalley and Stuart's links in that description box for the podcast episode as well and so we are shortly going to go into the q a and depending on david c smalley do you happen to have if you want more open discussion we can otherwise if you're ready for the q a we'll see what Stuart says i think Stuart will be back in just a moment what are your yeah. what are you feeling right now no i'm ready for the q a you got it i think we've uh, beat that dead horse long enough so it's been a fun one. And so I got to tell you, both you and Stuart, I got to give you kudos. People have really been enjoying this. And so I really do. We want to let you know, folks, if this is your first time here at Modern Day Debate, we're a neutral platform. So we don't take any stances. We only host debates and we host debates on science, religion and politics. And we want to let you know, no matter what walk of life you are from, we really do hope you feel welcome, whether you be Christian, atheist, gay, straight, black, white, Republican, Democrat, you name it. We're glad you're here. And so thanks for being with James, us. James, do you not ever tell anybody what your stance is on anything? They know what my stance is on a couple of things. However, I try to never like, inter you know, like if people ask, I might say, but most of the stuff I'll, I haven't disclosed. Yeah. So are you, a, are you a Christian? I am a Christian. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, thank you for having this platform. It's very, uh, very brave of you. That's nice of you. Thank you for your kind words. And again, we can't thank the speakers enough. So folks, please do give some, please do give some love to David C. Smalley and Stuart, as we really do appreciate them for just hanging out here. It makes it fun. And so we'll jump into these questions. This one from Oz says, end the stream. Smalley is the victor. You got a fan out there. Then we've got Spicy Rhodes says, Stuart, why is God more successful in less educated countries rather than in higher educated countries. And by successful, I think they mean in kind of being believed in. Yeah. So I would say the secular hypothesis, which is atheism connected with science and the growth in technology, 
God was supposed to disappear and atheism was supposed to just keep increasing. Now it's 12% in the next, I think, 10 years. It's supposed to drop down worldwide to 7%. Now, a lot of that has to do with just atheists just don't have babies. But I think that's connected to a type of, well, first of all, it's just wrong. That's just a wrong statement in many ways. It depends on how you look at the statistics. Because Mm. you could look at the U.S. right now and you could say, hey, religious nons are increasing greatly. Okay, fine. Take a take a poll of those religious nons, the non-religious types. They're not atheists. The vast majority of those are kind of the Oprah Winfrey spiritual types, which is there's a higher power. There's some type of supernatural being. Well, Stuart, let me just clarify the the, the question for the question asker. Yeah, yeah. You, you do acknowledge you do acknowledge the Pew Research surveys and studies that come out every few years that repeatedly show. The lower education, the more likely someone is to be religious, and the higher the education, the less likely the person is to be religious. And the same thing goes with God belief. The same thing goes with belief in ghosts, belief in angels, belief in demons. It's kind of the same pattern, right? You do acknowledge that the more education one attains, the less likely they are to believe in a God. I think that's what the question asker is trying to get at. Why is God more successful in being believed in where there is lower education and it's harder for him to convince people who have more education. Shockingly, I thought that was true, too. It's actually false. Check out Inspiring Philosophy. I had Michael Jones once on our show. He did a, a meta-analysis, meta-studies, showing across studies that clearly show that that's false. And then look at the Harvard study that the U.S. – it was a – gosh, I think it was the Post put out. Um, study over the last 20 years – saying that if you they didn't have iq on there so, so so maybe don't check that one out but in every other area in terms of health psychological health relational health happiness i think iq was on there but i don't want to be certain on that one it's greater if you go to church for example on a weekly basis and so so yes i don't fully disagree with the person in the sense of if you go to i've been to haiti i've been to a lot of those poor countries and and yes a belief in some form of god is burgeoning in different ways but i would say look at Look at uh, Lamansana at Yale. Look at others who clearly show that Christianity travels so differently than any other religion. It's not even close in terms of every world religion other than Christianity is still the majority of the high percentage of is still located where that religion started. You look at Christianity, it moved from Palestine over to Europe into the U.S., Latin America, Africa. So, so it's ha- it's impossible yeah, growth, to say that ultimately in terms of those. Well, well, growth growth of a religion has a lot to do with adaptability and has nothing to do with its truthfulness. We've got one from Tom's chair. It says me versus your sorry chair. Let's go. Thank you for that, Tom's chair. And Sunflower says Dave to fix your metal detector analogy. I would say that it should be that you are compelled to keep on using it out of faith, and one day we'll find something. Yeah, that's more of a question or a challenge for Stewart, I think. And but like they're just improving upon my argument that I just got into on my second beer. Uh, they just came into my head here, thanks thanks to the the God I worship, Sapporo, not a sponsor. Um, I think uh, I think Stewart should really answer that. Um, yeah, imagine that. Imagine the game where um, I, I say, uh, okay, I've, I've given you a metal detector. And then you find out I've only hid plastic. And you go, oh, well, I don't need this metal detector. And I go, ah, 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 
you have to keep searching with the metal detector in order to find the plastic. That's kind of the hand we've been dealt if your version of God exists. And I think that's what the question asker is getting at here. Gotcha. And this one comes in from Magellan asks, Stuart, can you give a single example of God's existence versus his non-existence? And in particular, a tangible example. Holy Spirit. That's the only tangible one you could say in my mind. Gotcha. And Chris Peacock, thanks for your Wait, the Holy Spirit. Hold on. Hold on. The Holy Spirit is tangible? Absolutely. You you could... People say all the time that you can actually feel the Holy Spirit inside of you. It brings conviction. You know when you're right or wrong. It brings happiness. It brings joy. And it sheds light on who Jesus Christ truly is. So that's the closest you can come to tangible. You're right. If you, if you say in terms of grabbing this table, no, it's not that type of tangibility. But the closest yeah. you can get to tangible would be the Holy Spirit. Yeah, inside tangible means in your heart. Tangible means perceptible by touch. And I don't think having an emotion run through your body would be considered touch so i i would reject that the holy spirit is tangible we could parse that one in different ways sure this one coming in from thanks chris peacock for your super sticker and david bauer socks thanks for your question for Stuart. they said david having an atheist platform means more people are becoming atheist as a matter of stopping that conversion shouldn't david be a top target oh is that for me yes I guess he's asking, shouldn't God target me because I have a platform of atheists? (laughs) No, no, no. There were a lot of successful, angry atheists in the Bible who God did not target and smite. No, I, you know, I like that atheist YouTube channels are are growing, it seems. I I don't know the studies on them, but it seems like in some ways they're growing because it shows that there's a type of pluralism in the U.S. right now. And if there's not multiple platforms with all religions, atheism, etc. The Christian faith is not going to grow as fast. Oddly enough, that's a study show. And no, atheism worldwide again, it's decreasing. It's because atheists are not having babies. And if you're pro evolutionary psychology, you're not going to be an atheist because you're going to want to say, how do we grow the population in the world? And so you're going to be a Christian because then you're having on average 2.8 to 3.5 babies versus an atheist who has one or less. So if you're into evolution, be a Christian. Yeah, but when those but when those babies start Googling stuff you're saying, I think Christianity is going to go back down. So I would encourage people to fact check uh, what you're hearing here tonight. This one comes in from Brian F. says, I read the Bible, asked questions, and prayed for three months. One day, God gave me a full-blown revelation. All my problems in life were a result of not obeying. David, have you ever honestly seeked God? Absolutely. I I actually was saved. Uh, Stuart was right when he said there's a really good chance that I was uh, saved. In fact, the moment I was dunked in the water and the preacher said, do you believe Jesus Christ died for your sins so that you may enter the kingdom of heaven? And I said, I do. And he said, you are hereby saved in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when I went underwater, I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, how does uh, punishing the innocent pardon the guilty? This doesn't make any sense. And, and, and how I've got thousands of more questions now. And then I came back up and I was petrified that I'd been baptized, but I didn't really understand what any of it meant. And then I was like, you know, told to go knock on doors. And I say on my podcast that I felt like I was given the jersey and pushed out on the field. And I knew none of the plays or what sport I was even playing. 
uh, and I felt responsible for winning souls when I had no idea what the hell was going on. Um, so yeah, uh, me knocking on doors and saying, I want to talk to you about Jesus. And then having someone say, honey, you need Jesus and slamming the door in my face made me think maybe she has the correct version of Jesus on the other side of that door. And I'm pulling people out of their faith. I better know what the hell I'm talking about before I knock on another door. That's what led me to actually start reading the Bible. So I was baptized into the faith. I was raised as a believer. I believed until I was a, a late teenager into my early 20s. I kind of fought it and then uh, just openly became an atheist uh, publicly. And a lot of my listeners who have been with me for you know the last 11 years or so have seen the journey. Right. And my book, Baptized Atheists, kind of details that journey of the questions I started asking in the beginning, the the uh, um, the uh, theology professors I sat down and talked with, the preachers and pastors, the conflicting information I was getting from Christian sources, uh, the conflicting Bible verses, uh, the, the, the multiple contradictions I couldn't make sense. That has all been a journey. So, yeah, when people ask me if I've ever um, actually asked God uh, and yes, I've given my entire life to God, I was a part of a music ministry and at one point had plans on becoming a preacher so yes i've given it a fair shot i gave it everything i had i gave it my entire life and i've even given it the last 15 to 18 years as an atheist starting as a writer and editor of american atheist magazine my approach has always been searching for the truth not disproving something by plugging my fingers in my ears gotcha and this one coming in from marcus gillard says this is for both debaters. Does personal experience prove that God exists? I used to have dreams of God. Now, not at all. I'm searching for God, too. I'd say no. Uh, personal experience can be um, an excuse for why you suspend reality because your personal experience was so strong. But I don't think that can be proof for anyone else that there is a God. Agreed. I would say it's strong evidence. Gotcha. And this one coming in from Victor Hallock. Thanks for your question, Victor. Says, for Stuart, honest question from a believer friend. If God exists, why would he not hide, quote-unquote, clues in his creation to reaffirm his existence for those who search for him? Reality appears to directly contradict his existence. Friend, just read John Edwards or John Piper. Study Christian hedonism. The way those guys get in touch with nature and have such an experience. I mean, these guys are brilliant, by the way, like insanely brilliant. They're not just these fundamentalist Christian types who, are, who live under rocks and are not smart. Brilliant people, not the, the emotional types, the intellectual types who have had such crazy experiences of the Holy Spirit and God walking through nature in the woods specifically that they've had to say, God, please stop. And so I think those clues are there. In, for example, general revelation. Yeah, one in 33 birth defects, one in 33 births has a birth defect. Look at hurricanes, look at tornadoes, look at earthquakes, look at mudslides, look at the absolute destruction nature has caused, look at the multiple bone diseases and cancers and COVID-19. You want to look at nature for God? You look at a God who doesn't give a damn about any of us. It looks like a God that's trying to get rid of us. And I would say that's evidence for God, because why would that bother you so much if there wasn't a God? That's why C.S. Lewis became a Christian. Because I, I love human, because I love other human beings. And I don't okay, need a why? God. I don't need a hateful God in order for me to love humans. No, 
but you have this strong conviction and desire and you're calling it wrong where you get this type of moral obligation to say that it's wrong. See, this is what the, the most yeah. reluctant convert, C.S. Lewis, one of the smartest men ever to be at Oxford and Cambridge, he became a Christian for this this real, this point because he was making your point. He said, all the suffering, that's why I can't be a Christian. But all of a sudden he started to realize, wait a second, why is this bothering me so much? And that led him to faith. Well, us all being connected as human beings, us having mirror neurons in our brain and understanding the concept of suffering, we can get back on the schedule and I can have you on my podcast and we can have an entire debate on morality because I'm one of the few atheists that'll step up and say, I do believe in some aspect of objective morality. So I knew at some point we would have this, where do you get your morality from question. If we want to expand that onto another show, another version of this debate, or you want to come on my show, I'll be more than happy to get into that because I do have answers for those questions. But the fact that someone feels love in their heart, the fact that someone sees someone else struggling and wants to help them, there are multiple examples of that happening in nature outside of humanity. Dogs saving dogs from a street, gorillas saving other gorillas, bears saving birds from drowning. No God needed for one mammal to have compassion for another mammal. So we can table that until next time. This next one from Sarah Jenkins says, I heard God sends prophets like Mo and Jesus because God himself is so powerful that his power would immediately kill us, so he hides for us. Uh, I think Mahome, Mo referred to Muhammad. I I thought maybe Moses. Oh, yeah, that could Moses be. too. That yeah. makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I would just say, keep in mind, who was the who was the question asker there? Sarah Jenkins. S- Sarah, I understand that that is an answer maybe you have heard. And I would say, just imagine, keep in mind in all of this, that if that's true, God is also the one who made that rule, right? He created the physics that we understand and live in. So if his presence is so powerful, it will kill us. That's only because he designed it that way. So he created this rule that just seeing him would melt our faces off. Who would do that? with someone they want a relationship with. Who would make that the rule? Just think about it that way. Jumping into the next question from Harry White says, only inner spirituality can give you belief in God. More of a statement. Next. No thoughts? (laughs) You don't have to if you don't have anything. Yes, I mean, part of it, I would say partly. I I wouldn't fully agree with that. No, I would say evidence can give you belief in God, but the evidence has to make sense and be important. Right, what is belief? Yeah. Right, right. It's a subset of, yeah. Gotcha. And David Bowersox, thanks for your question, says, what do you have coming up on the DCS show? Oh, on my podcast, uh, you know, I've got a couple of people lined up, uh, Christians, a couple of uh, crystal healers, um, I've got a person uh, who is a Reiki healer who is uh, set to come, um, and I've got some comedy shows that we're talking about June 11th and 12th in the San Diego area. So uh, I'm I'm, I'm broadening my horizon uh, outside of just Christianity, and we're doing a lot of stuff on you know people who believe in laying hands on someone and, and healing them, or believe in Reiki or or some sort of uh, you know audio sort. Of, it, this started with someone trying to sponsor my show and I turned them down and they got angry. 
right? It was like, hey, I want to, I want you to tell people about this product that they can go to sleep and listen to sound waves and it cures cancer. And I was like, not in a million years am I going to advertise that on my show? And they're like, oh, I can prove to you it works. And I'm like, let's do it. Um, and so, yeah, I'm I'm all about that. So I'm 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 about testing claims, uh, and I'm also a comedian. So I try to walk that line of like, you know, being funny and having a good time during the show without directly offending the person I'm talking to, because I also want to extend an olive branch of respect. So yeah, it's a lot of that coming up. We're kind of branching out away from Christianity, but still a lot of Christian scheduled. So uh, yeah, you can just look at the title of the episode and it'll tell you pretty much uh, the type of guest I have on that day. You got it. Thank you. Thank you very much. And then Magellan, thanks for your question. Said if triangles had a God, it would have three sides. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Stuart, do you get the reference? <laughs> no, give it to me. It, it's that you, you know, human beings created God in our own image. So if triangles had a God, it would have three sides. If circles had a God, it would be a circle. I love that. I'm going <laughs> to use that moving forward. That's that. Who, who said that again, James? Magellan. Magellan. Damn it. That's good stuff, man. I love that. If that, a triangle that, had a God, it would be, it would have three sides. That's a perfect response to this. Uh, that's a really quick way of saying, it's like a Twitter version way of saying what I talked about the crocodile example, you know, the, the, to that baby crocodile, that mother is its God. It is protection. It is savior. It is everything. It is the source of food. It's literally everything. And the same for the gazelle that pops out and has no idea what this new world is. And when the two-year-old is walking around the living room and there's a big thunderclap outside and it runs full force for its mother, you didn't have to teach that. It wanted to be around something bigger and more powerful that looks like itself for protection. It didn't run to a chair. It didn't run to a stuffed animal. It didn't run to the big screen TV. It ran to the thing that looked like itself. And uh, I think uh, that's a brilliant way of saying if a triangle, uh, I think that's a brilliant way to say it, that if a triangle had a God, it would have three sides. We created God in our own image. I don't look anything like Jesus looked. Yeah, you I do. You. Yeah, you do. <laughs> no American flag around Jesus. <laughs> This one coming in from Victor says, Stuart, with peace and love, you would be a great mind on some genuine pursuits in the STEM field. Please consider moving into one of the STEM fields. I agree. And is it Tasha? Let me know if I pronounce it right. Tasha Thomas, thank you very much for your question. Said, David, the problem of atheism is not without a detector, but a faded detector is what the problem with atheism is. They say, in parentheses, self-inflicted memory loss. To win a game, you have to play it. I'm not clear on what that means. Is, is she saying, forgive me if I'm misgendering, I, I thought you said it was a, a woman. Um, is she, uh, help clarify that. Is, is she saying that I think their metal detector is like I'm I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's, it is. Uh, so one thing I'm going to change when I read it this time, I think they meant with. So I think they're saying, David, the problem of atheism is not with a detector, but a faded detector due to self-inflicted memory loss. I think that they're saying right. that you're purposely not wanting to detect God. Yeah. And again, that just goes back to victim blaming. I have no control over that. If my memory is gone... <laughs> I don't know how I could, that could be my fault. I, I'm not, 
I'm not, and I, I, I don't know any atheists, in fact, who are intentionally suppressing this idea of God. Stuart seems to talk to these crazy atheists who are angry at a God they don't acknowledge exists, which I, I don't, that doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I, I think blaming the person for not having the memory that they allegedly caused themselves to lose is just a very convenient sidestep to let God off the hook and to just victim blame the little person. I mean, that would be like me telling the three-year-old, hey, I need you to um, lock the door whenever I leave so that no one takes you. And then I walk out the door and the three-year-old never locks the door because they're three and then they get kidnapped. And then later people are like, bro, you left the three-year-old by themselves? And I go, hey, they suppressed my memory of telling them to lock the door. It's kind of their fault they got taken. Hold on. If I'm the responsible adult in the room and I'm the smart one and they have the puny brain of the three-year-old, isn't it my responsibility to ensure their safety? And if if I leave and avoid making sure they're safe and they do something that causes themselves to be in danger, rather than blaming me, if I go, they screwed up, that's just victim blaming. That's just picking on the puny brain thing that didn't know any better. And I think that's a cop out for Christianity. This one coming in from Abdullah Ibn Ibn Iblis. Thanks. Said enjoyed it. So glad you did enjoy this one tonight, folks. And Abdullah in particular. Tom's chair says, I wouldn't want God to show up to me. I'd want God to show up to the children's hospital first. Agreed. I think that they're pressing you on the problem of evil implicitly. Mm. Well, I'm going to defer to Alvin Plantinga. He talks about the pup tent example with the noceums. There could be, how do you know if you're granting a God complete omniscience and we are this puny little way below an ant in our ability to even start to think compared to God? How do you know that there could not be reasons for any type of evil and suffering? And I know that could sound callous in certain situations. Absolutely, it could. But I'm simply looking at it from a philosophical, not not more of a counselor perspective. And so you look at, for example, like Job. I mean, think about how much Job suffered. He lost his finances, he lost his family, he lost his own health. And then think about how the story of Job has helped so many people going through suffering for thousands of years. And then imagine blaming that ant for not developing a relationship with the ant farmer. But you're putting so much more on free will. Again, if we had a seesaw right now, David, free will for you is like... You've got to balance with with the with God's sovereignty. Well, I mean, if he's making the rules as to how I can play, I think it's ultimately up to him. Like, don't forget, I can't – there is no way any Christian could ever stand in condemnation on somebody's soul. You don't know. You just don't – I mean, look at the thief on the cross. Deathbed conversions, you have no idea if somebody is saved or not. I don't know, but John 7, 24 says you can pass yep. righteous judgment once you've reached righteousness. So if you have a relationship with God, do you not have authority, divine authority, in fact, to pass righteous judgment according to John 7, 24? Well, what is righteous judgment? I mean, is that saying that I, I literally believe I could I could judge your soul that it will absolutely be in hell? Some could take it that way. You could take it that way. I, I certainly don't take it that way. 
I don't think you get an ounce in scripture on anything saying that a human being could say that somebody's going to absolutely be in hell. Even Hitler. You can jump in the next one. And this one coming in from Pastor John says, to fix David's, they're okay. We, they, they like your analogy. They, they got a kick out of that. And so they are giving alternatives. They're trying to uh, give kind of new ways of looking. They say, to fix David's analogy by assuming God has given you a metal detector, you assume you will find God through empirical means. God has given you a map to follow, seek, and find if you seek with all of your heart. That's, again, victim blaming. What, what that ultimately turns into is all of the people watching right now and listening through the podcast who have sought with every fiber of their being, who have cried out to God, who have been in desperate situations, who were raised in the church, who were raised by pastors, who were sexually abused in the church or abused by pastors for years and decades and and so on, all of those people who cried out for help, who didn't get an answer, what you're saying, Pastor John, is it's your fault. You didn't seek hard enough. You didn't cry hard enough. You didn't believe enough. You didn't say the right words in the right way. You didn't get enough hands clasped in prayer. In, in prayer. You didn't get enough heads bowed in prayer. You didn't get enough people behind you, or you didn't say the right thing to make God give a damn about you, even though he saw your suffering and was in the room while it was happening. He never cared. He watched with indifference because you didn't say the right combination. You didn't say the right magic words. And then when we die, our reward is to worship at the feet of the one being who could have prevented that suffering and chose to watch with indifference. That's not a reward to me. That's shoving it in my face. Next one coming in from Sphincter of Doom says, The supernatural cannot be known by definition, given the natural means by which we experience or perceive things, and any natural perception of his influence could not be distinguished from nature. I have a I have a strict policy of not answering questions from someone named Sphincter of Doom. <laughs> oh. I'm, I'm not sure what the hell they're asking. Yeah, Sphincter a... of Doom. I, I gotta be honest, I didn't listen after you said Sphincter <laughs> of Doom. I kept imagining what that could possibly look like. So I'm I have no clue what you said after that. But it I is a it is a long question. So I'm okay. frankly still piecing it together, even though looking at it. So, and any natural perception of his influence could not be distinguished from nature. So I think that they're saying that it's like roughly speaking. Sorry, sphincter, uh, if I miss <laughs> if I say this the wrong way. But they said roughly speaking. I think they're saying like we're using the wrong means if we're looking like with an yeah. empirical emphasis. They say I'll read it again. The supernatural cannot be known by definition. Right. Given that the natural means by which we experience and perceive things and any natural perception of his influence could not be distinguished from nature. Right. That, that, that's exactly my entire point of the analogy of the metal detector is God is metaphysical, yet we don't have the ability to detect the metaphysical. We, we can't see things that are invisible by definition because they are outside of our field of vision. Right. So so that's the whole point is that God gave us the ability to go. This is a glass. I can touch it. I can I can I can feel it. I, I Here's how I detect things. I know that I'm cold because I can feel the air on me and I can go do something about that. And then God's going to go. Listen, the, only, 
the most important thing about your existence as a human is to detect me and develop a relationship with me. And so the human then goes, all right, great. Which plane of existence are you going to exist on? The one that I can smell, the one that I can taste, the one that I can feel, the one that I can hear? Oh, no. On a plane of existence that you can't detect, you just have to hope you're right about the version of me that other people tell you about from a book that's going to be translated by, you know, 1,600 different authors. I mean, sorry, uh, uh, over, over a period of 1,600 years, by dozens of different authors over 300 over three different languages we're going to make it really confusing and by the way in the book Jesus is going to specifically talk in parables with the intent to confuse you so that you will not you will hear but you will not understand we're going to do all of this on purpose and and I'm the god who have put all of this into place that that's kind of the whole point of my my analogy is that i have this conversation all the time with christians and and, and i the blaming the human being for not detecting the God who has intentionally set up the game for itself to remain undetectable just makes me wonder, what are we doing here? Like, what are you doing, Stuart? Why are you continuing to play the game when you can't detect God with the tools he gave you to detect? It has to be a hope. It has to be a feeling. It has to be a, a belief. But you can't know on something that's that important that your eternity literally depends on it. That's the one thing you have to take on faith. I just don't see a loving God setting up a, a, a game in which he remains undetectable, yet his detection is the most important factor. So the piece on James, you want me to answer or do you want, you want to keep you, going? I'll give you a chance if you want to do one. Okay. Yeah. So is, is this still sphincter? If it's still sphincter, the, the whole supernatural piece is exactly right because if you go into any hospital and you have a finger that the top of it's missing and miraculously your finger grows back there is no way to test the miraculous because of a control environment and you need repeatability right so science can't touch the supernatural so you're, you're spot on about that one and that's connected to the five senses which david just hit right now and I would add, I don't think this is strong evidence for God, but it's definitely evidence. Recently, there was a poll taken. Over 30 million people across only three continents have had direct experiences with the supernatural, miraculous, or NDEs even. And so, yes, you can't experience God in the supernatural with your five senses, but wow, there are a lot of people out there who are either hallucinating or playing some crazy games or just lying. And we know there are many of those, but I think that in and of itself, these new studies are showing something where there is this type of universal ability to connect with something supernatural that is not necessarily tangible. And I just want to say I request extra credit points for being two beers in, hearing the words sphincter and finger in the same sentence <laughs> and not making a joke about it. <laughs> That's true. That is some raw self-control and power. Thank so you. thank you, David thank C. Svalley. And this thank next you. one from Mike Q922 says, David and Stuart, thanks for expressing your views. And Stuart, they say, is evil and or are evil and suffering in the world a huge factor to people leaving Christianity? Any thoughts on this? That's the number one that I hear for people not coming to the faith and yes many leaving 
But it's also the one, oddly enough, and this is the pastoral counselor side of me. I'm not going with the callous, you know, philosophical pastoral counselor side. I've seen many people who've had things like cancer that they've literally been a shell of themselves and painkillers have not been able to help them whatsoever. And they will read the Bible and again, get some type of solace that I can't call it anything other than some type of supernatural solace, to be quite honest, if, if you want me to be totally honest with you. And I'm more of the scientific type type side of things. And so, yes, I see some people leave the faith because of things like a stillbirth, but I see way more people come to know God through some type of suffering. They'll at least come to church. Any atheist will step in the doors of a church if they're suffering because they're, they're going to test everything, right? The drugs aren't working. You know, the counseling's not working. All right. Let me try church. And and so so, no, I, I, th- I think it cuts both ways. But that's that's typically the one you'll hear. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. This one coming in from Ron Tronimus. Thank you very much. Said the whole thing is based on the assumption that anyone could possibly understand or know what they or God may be or is thinking or planning. But isn't this unknowable? I think they're saying, like, you know, couldn't it be that God has a plan or a reason that makes it such that God is, in the alleged case, not in any way appearing to anybody. Yeah, that could be the case. I'm sure Stuart would agree, right? And that's kind of what you believe is that he's not appearing. I guess the question I would have on my side is, fine if that's the case, but to then offer some form of punishment for those who don't figure it out or eternal reward for those who do is just cruel. It's a cruel treatment of humanity. While if that God exists, he has given me this instinct to love humanity and the mirror neurons in my brain to recognize suffering and to help people avoid that suffering. Yet he seems to be indifferent to our suffering. It just, it doesn't, if, if you're going to make yourself invisible, don't make that the number one goal of the entire existence of humanity is to find you. I mean, how crazy is this? Like a babysitter going, all right, you got to find me, count to 10, and then hiding. And if the person, if the little kid doesn't find the babysitter, she spanks him or sets him on fire or beats him up or something. Like, if you don't find me, okay, I come out of hiding and we do it again, right? But there's no, there's no drastic consequence for not finding you. So if you're going to set the game up that way, don't. if you're going to make yourself impossible to find, don't make that the entire purpose of my existence. I think a big piece of this is, see, David sees it as this, this unfair, non-loving game of heaven and hell. I see it as God's ultimate love and respect for our freedom and choice, whether to live with him or not. If he was forcing us to live with him, that'd kind of be like everybody's had that girlfriend or boyfriend who... You know, they claim to just be a friend, but then they say, hey, I, I really like you a lot and you don't like them whatsoever back. And yet they try and force you. They gameplay into, oh, come on, though. Come on, let's at least stay friends and then maybe something. And then two years later, everybody's had that type of experience. Well, are, God is not going to do that type of thing to us. No, no are, he's going to be the boyfriend or girlfriend who says, I respect you no. as just a friend. And I know you don't want to love me, even though I love you. So I'm letting you go. Are you suggesting that if God showed himself to me, I would be forced to love him? No, absolutely not. 
Okay, then your analogy completely fails because Lucifer knows for a fact that God exists and he chose to turn his back on him. So God's showing himself to me right now because I'm going to let me let you in a little secret. If God were to appear right here, right now on this live stream, by the way, let me make room for him. If God were to show up right here, give me some. Okay, I tried. If God were to show up right here, I would be like, why in 1 Samuel 15, 3, did you tell Saul to go wipe out the Amalekites and tell them to stomp out the little infants and the children who were still nursing? Why did you tell them to be killed? Why didn't you just unharden the heart of the Pharaoh instead of wiping out the firstborn of all the people in the village? Why, 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 why? I would have a million questions for that God. It was done give you the last every chance to uh, respond Stuart because they originally directed in the question ancient near eastern culture I have no problem with God judging in that kind of way where it was done even more ruthlessly by other civilizations one and then two David's going right back to my main points which were no God is not just going to hear God show up right now that gets right back to God being the cosmic bellboy the genie in a bottle baby no, it's not that type of game playing with the God of the entire universe. Again, remember, this God created the whole universe. Are we simply asking this God who created the whole universe to be our nice little assistant? That, that's literally what we're asking him to do right now. No, that's, not what, that's not what fine. I'm saying. But again, and then no. David going back to show up, God, show up, God. This gets right back to my two points, two of my four points, which is it's not about just believing that God exists. Hey, he's here. Whoa. It's not belief. It's loving relationship and trust. That's why you've got to go to the Gospels with Jesus Christ. Because here's where I do believe with David. It's got to be short and If we didn't have the Gospels and Jesus Christ, then, then yeah, there, there would be no way I could actually have a trusting relationship with any type of God. So agreed there. This one coming in from Harry White. This is for you, David. This is an interesting one. They say, even if God doesn't exist. So they're saying, you know, let's grant that's the case. And they say, wouldn't an atheist world be nihilistic? In other words, there's like suffering or harm that happens to organisms, but it's not imbued with this deeper moral meaning. And they say, have you ever considered this, David? Sure. And um, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with uh, evil existing in the world without a God, because evolution doesn't give a damn about you. It's about adapting to your surroundings. Um I'm fine with bad things happening to people if there is no God, because um, chance and random chance and car accidents and humans are fallible creatures who create fallible machines, and we're going to make mistakes. And uh, I'm fine with loss. I've lost my dad. I've lost my son to a motorcycle accident. I've My mom just got breast cancer literally last month. Um, she's surviving. She's fighting through it, just had surgery. I'm fine with dealing with all of these things as an atheist because I know that this is the reality that I have and I've got to fight through it and deal with it problem by problem with as much science and reality as possible. I'm not hitting my knees asking for an invisible deity that I've created in my childhood to help me with something. I'm dealing with the problems as an adult one-on-one -on -one as they come and saying goodbye to people as they leave my life the best I know how. I'm mourning the death. I'm welcoming new babies. I'm solving problems the best that I can according to my human standards. But it makes sense that there would be suffering if there is no God because evolution doesn't give a damn about you. But as soon as Stuart says there is a God who loves you and seeks a relationship with you, 
but is remaining hidden from you when he has the power to show himself, that only introduces thousands of more questions as to why he's not making himself known. Gotcha. Sorry to hear about those things, David. And we are glad to have you both, David and Stuart, here. We've got just a few more questions. want to let you know, folks, we're going to kind of move through these quick. We for sure won't be able to get through any questions. We do want to respect the time of our guests. And so please, no more <laughs> no more questions. But Long Nights YouTube, and thank you for your question, said it's now proven that UFOs are real and we don't know what's flying them, though. Pastor, is it safe to say that they don't believe in that Bible or your Jesus? <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. And if aliens are on other planets... They easily could be Christians or atheists. It's, 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 it's all speculative. They could be God. <laughs> Juicy. And thank you for this next question. Bubblegum Gun says, the same reason aliens and others won't. Politics. <laughs> next up, thank you, Band for Life, your super sticker, as well as Flat Earth Guy, who says, I endorse this channel. <laughs> Thank you. Um, next up, Bubblegum God says, the creator is a free market anarchist. Hands off. And then there are just, uh, I think, maybe two more that I had seen that let me just load this page. But want to remind you, folks, our guests are linked in the description. We do appreciate them. Want to remind you, friendly reminder, 99% of you do a phenomenal job at this. And so for that 1% that sometimes struggles with it, we want to encourage you to attack the arguments instead of the person. And this one coming in from Victor Hallock says, Stuart, what's your favorite Christian band? <laughs> so i get in trouble with this one because i'm more of a pop kind of guy and my worship music is it, it, let's just say my uh my worship uh, little podcast playlist is pretty small i would say it would be a singer named keith green keith green died in a plane crash too young back in i think the 80s gotcha thank you for that and then this next question i don't know if this is serious they say if god were to Sorry if that was an insult, uh, Bubblegum Gun City. Say, if God were to act out of love, it would be theft. I, this kind of sounds actually a little bit like, okay, I don't understand this. Do either of you? If God were act, to act out of love, it would be theft. Theft? Right. I'm not clear, no. Okay, it's not just me then. Okay, well, thank you for your question, Bubblegum Gun. And we do appreciate... Oh, that's no, actually. Okay. Sarah Jenkins says my, that my question was for Stuart. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Let, well, let me just to humor Sarah, cause we do appreciate your question, Sarah. Sarah's question. I think that, uh, they wanted to see what your response was Stuart and they didn't hear it. Sarah had said, I heard God sends prophets like Moses and Jesus because God himself is so powerful that his power would immediately kill us. So he hides for us. Like, Stuart, what were your thoughts on this? Did you respond? I can't remember. No, I didn't respond. Okay. So his holiness in, well, really Christianese term, but it is in the Bible, so I'll use it. Shekinah glory gets at such incredible holiness, and he's the source of all moral goodness. And so once Jesus Christ comes, then we have access to God the Father. But before Jesus Christ came, because of the moral goodness and holiness, which simply means set apart in such a powerful way, humans could not connect with God in the sense of being his physical presence at that time. Say, for examples, 
like Moses with the burning bush, where it's a theophany where God is showing up in a bush or at other times like in a cloud. So when you it just shows the seriousness of God the Father in the Old Testament when it comes to his holiness and goodness, which again makes sense. If he's the God of the entire universe and he's the ultimate source of all goodness and holiness and everything right and good, then we humans who are fallible and broken most likely are going to have a tough time in his presence. But again, if we didn't have Jesus Christ, then I would have a tough time believing in this God and, and wanting any type of relationship with him. But because Jesus came, that gives us an, a possibility to actually have a relationship with a historical figure. All according to God's plan. want to say thank you so much, folks, for hanging out with us. I will be back with a post credit scene in just a moment, letting you know about juicy upcoming debates that we're excited about. But want to give one last thank you to David C. Smalley and Stuart for being with us. It's been a true pleasure, gentlemen. Be right thank back, you, folks. James. Thank you, David. Thank you. Thank you, Stuart. Be right back in just a moment, folks, and stick around. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. 